Welcome to another episode of Small Talk No More. My name is Alex and today I've got with me Claire Freeman, music supervisor, who's going to be telling us about all the ins and outs of uh, music supervision. Welcome, Claire. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. My, my pleasure. So, Claire, um, would you like to just kick it off and, um, you know, do a quick introduction and uh, tell us about your experience? Um, yeah, so I'm a music supervisor for film and TV. I've been working in the business since 2008. Um, I guess my most well-known film is The Theory of Everything. Um, also, more recently, I Care A Lot, starring Rosamund Pike. Um, I've also done quite a lot of television, uh, things like Temple for Sky and uh, Mammoth Screen series, The Singapore Grip and The Pale Horse. Uh, I originally wanted to be a film composer and um, I spent quite a few years scoring for short films and when I was doing that I uh, I started crewing on the short films and uh, I, I remember thinking you know actually I quite enjoy being part of the production um, but I still went on and did a master's for composing for film and TV and actually that really made me realise that I did not want to be a film composer. Oh really? <laughs> Yeah, um, it's just, yeah, I just thought, no, I'm not I'm not cut out for hours and hours tooling away in the studio on my own, you know, to because at the time I did a short film while I was doing the Masters and I had to just keep doing the same cue over and over and I, I was like, no, oh, I'm just, just not right for this. Um, but I, I thought, you know, I do really want to work in the film and music industry. So I moved up to London And I got a job working in a music management company and I spent a couple of years working with clients such as film composer Trevor Jones mm. and also Lemon Jelly, um, Yusuf Islam, he obviously was Cat Stevens, and also DJ Paul Oakenfold. Um, and Paul Oakenfold was scoring films and I, I ended up assisting him on some of those films. And I think that was just the uh, very early stages of getting any experience in music mm. supervision. Uh, and then my then boss got a job working um, as a supervisor um, for a, a company called Cinerone X, and their first film was Me and Orson Wells. So that was my first film in 2008. It's a Richard Linklater film um, starring Zac Efron, who I have to say at the time I'd never heard of. <laughs> um, I hadn't seen, what was it, High School Musical? High School Musical, yeah. Was, yeah. And uh, my very first day on set, I had to teach him to whistle a song. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> first ever. Yeah. Um, but it was, that was a really great project to work on because uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but I, I pretty much covered everything that a music supervisor might be expected to do in a, in a, in a film. So, you know, I cleared um, around 32 songs. So it was set in 1936. So, yeah, it was great great year for music and um there was also a live uh radio orchestra there was a live band in a ballroom and we had jules holland band with nice. eddie on vocals and we did some pre-records of a couple of songs for that and uh yeah there was also a uh a theater a performance going on in a theater and of Julius Caesar, and I had to clear the original music for that, which was also then performed nice. you know, in the film. So it had so many elements of, you know, of live performance as well as clearing a lot of songs. 
But um, I absolutely loved it. It was just, yeah, it was just, I'd never been on set before, so I got to go to Twickenham and, you know, see them. They, you know, recreated this whole street in New York with this with this theatre front and everything. So, nice. yeah, that was brilliant. And I didn't really look back after that. So um, I worked with this, with this particular production company for several years, and then I started doing solo projects mm-hmm. um, around 2012. And the rest is history, really. I've not really looked back. It's, I, mean, I mean, I find it a very, a very addictive business to be in because every project's different. And although you do sometimes get some stresses and the old crisis, generally it's really good fun. I think if it wasn't, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Cool. No, that sounds great. Um, so let's get to, you know, share a bit more about you. So I've got a couple of quick questions that just need a very short answer, and that way we can get to know you a bit better. Okay. How uh, okay. are you ready for for this? Okay. Cool, let's do it. So first is, what's your favourite song or album? Is this is this recent or is this just... Any. Any. any yeah, what's your favourite song or album? Okay, well, God, I just want to think about this. I mean, my, <laughs> one of my favourite songs ever is, e- is Evolution by the Cinematic Orchestra. I just love it. Nice. Do you know that track? I, not that particular, but I know the Cinematic Orchestra, yeah. Yeah, it's... um. Well, it's got this line in it, the stars light up my life, and I just always loved it the first time I heard it. it, it it's almost like a chill-out track, but then, then it, it kind of gets into this kind of more um, sort of upbeat guitar section. So it isn't really. It's kind of got two different moods going on, but I just love the lyrics of mm-hmm. it. Um, so, yeah, that is one of my all-time favourite tracks. Moving on, uh, what's, the, what's the worst show you watched in 2020? Yeah, so I, yeah, I thought about this. <laughs> oh God! I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a massive. Um, I do watch TV. I do watch it, but I, I'm not someone who binges out on loads of box sets. I mean, the, there was something I saw called The One on Netflix, which I thought was dire, and I gave up <laughs> after about two episodes. Um, I mean, I know everyone was going on about the Queen's Gambit, but I actually, I didn't really like it. I thought it looked good. It looks thought, good. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that was the worst show. I mean, I don't know. I don't think I watch enough to probably tell you what the, the worst, definitive one is. worst show is. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so let's move on then. And uh, tell me, what, what was your celebrity crush when you were a teenager? Oh, that was easy. That's David Bowie. It was always <laughs> nice. David Bowie, to be honest. In fact, it was probably David Bowie from about age six. Um, so throughout throughout my whole life, because my you know, my dad used to um, play a lot of his records, and I I got quite obsessed with his music and what he looked like. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's always been him. I almost met him once, but um, I I almost got into a, a a fashion event that he was at, but um, the guest list fell through at the last minute, so I didn't right. make gutting. Okay, let's move on. So uh, you've got. You get to choose two of these, and then the third one we scrap it. So you okay. get to choose between time, money, or music. You keep two, and one disappears. Yeah, that that's easy. I would drop the money because I could always move out of London and live somewhere less. Right, good. And um, I could I could do my job remotely from anywhere really. 
And whereas time is one of the most precious things we've got, there's never enough of it. And music, I absolutely couldn't live without because, you know, the cliche, it is my life. It is. It's always been such a big part of my life, you know, being a musician as well as, you know, doing what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. Whereas money, it's nice having money, but (laughs) you can actually exist on not that much, really. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you need some to be able to live. But, um, yeah. But it's not a priority. It's not a priority, no. Uh, Okay, so then who's someone that you trust? It would be my my, um, close friends and family. I don't think I'd say just one person. I mean, I am generally quite a trusting person Mm. um, with people, I suppose maybe with people that I know and I feel sure about. But, yeah, it would be my friends and family. I don't trust politicians at all. (laughs) I kind of hate politics, really, yeah. Okay. Um, and so just two last questions. So one of them is, if you could give your 20-year-old self a piece of advice, what would that be? Yeah. It, off the top of my head, it would be, don't waste so much time getting drunk. Um, but I think that would fall on deaf ears. Um, yeah. Um, just, to, just to have more faith and be more confident because I – when you're on the outside, you know, when I desperately wanted in to get into the film and music industry, it seems like this impossible world that you can't yeah. get access to and you spend all these time knocking on doors. And then once you're in it, you forget what that was like. You forget how you just thought, oh, I'm just not good enough. I'm never going to get anywhere. Mm. So it would be just to say, you know, keep the faith and believe, believe in yourself because you know, you do have these skills, you do have this talent, and it's just getting that break. Yeah. And it really is. But it also does take a hell of a lot of hard work and perseverance, you know. Yeah, it's a it because I work my ass off, basically. Yeah. 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 yeah, fair enough. I mean, I guess that, that that is the one quality that everyone needs to have in the creative industries to be a proper hustler. And, yes. you know, if you want to get somewhere, you just need to keep at it. It is, it is something it took me a long time to get the hang of is learning to sell myself because I don't naturally blow my own trumpet, but um, you have to. Otherwise, yeah. I'm not going to pay any attention. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so let's wrap it up then with one last question, which is what's the best thing about working in music supervision? It would, it would probably be um, that there is never a dull moment. I, I, it's always interesting. I get to listen to a lot of cool music mm. um i get to work with some really great teams i meet some really interesting people yeah and i never know what i'm going to be doing next so yeah it's all it always keeps me on my toes cool i do get the occasional moment when i think oh i wish i worked in a bookstore or something you know but that's kind of <laughs> when some, something bad happens and and often you know these days that happens less i think because yeah. i've got it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that, you know we all have those moments of like, I wish I was just a farmer. Yeah, yeah. when you just want, you're just tired and you just want some downtime. Yeah, it never lasts because I actually just get bored really easily. I I I like it if I'm frantic and run off my feet. And, yeah, yeah, yes. The stress stress can be quite addictive as well. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Let's say that you got a project last year or before the pandemic, let's say, and um, you come in and then you read the script and you already do your pre-selection of songs. Now the production goes on hold. Does your side of the work go on hold as well? 
or can you still move on, clear those songs so then you can move on to the next project because you've already finished the full list of songs for the project that was on hold? Um, no, I mean, if it's on hold, everything's on hold. So, you know, there, there, there was a film I was working on and we had got so far into prep and there were a lot of live performances mm. and um, I cleared the tracks for those live performances. Um, and and then, you know, so then there was the pandemic. And so, so basically then everything just comes to a halt. You know, I'm still on, I'm still on the project, but it's on hiatus. Yeah. So... Uh, then it's just really how long it is before it goes back into production. If it's a long time, then the chances are I have to re-clear those tracks because approvals generally only last for three months. Um, but if you're clearing something, you know, um, and, and you know that the post isn't going to happen for another 10 months, I can normally, you know, put that in the request and say, look, we need the approval to hold until we up in the autumn or whatever so no no then it will just it will just go on hold and you know as a supervisor i can be across multiple projects yeah so um i'm never um employed exclusively so you know if something goes on hold then i just wait for it to pick back up and i'll be working on other projects in the meantime um i mean it happens quite often you know because there's all sorts of things you never know what's going to happen like you know a cast member gets pregnant or something do you know what i mean i yeah. it, Anything can stop a production, um, unless so with TV. I find generally TV, it's much more set in stone. This is the schedule, we go, you know, it, the schedule may shift a bit, but generally it's all going ahead. Whereas film, I, I find it's more unreliable and, you know, you'll start on something and then it will get delayed by three months or six months. or mm-hmm. Yeah, so it seems to be more chop and change. Okay, so... Uh, would you say that you prefer TV productions than than film ones? I, that's a hard question. There's, there's, I, I do, I, do, I mean, I'm really enjoying the TV shows I've been working on, generally because the licensing budgets are more healthy. Um, mm. So I get a chance to sync, you know, it just opens up more more creative opportunities because you can, you know, sync pretty much what you want, you know, within reason, you know, excluding the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. Except, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and, yeah, I, I mean, and, yeah, it's, it's a, it is a different process. The only thing with TV is you tend to have less time, so you tend to have a short turnaround, mm. whereas film you can probably take ages coming up with the ideas because it's such a slow schedule. And, you know, when I did my first TV series, it was a bit of a shock to the system. I was like, whoa, we've got to, you know, you've got to move quickly. You've got less time in which to clear tracks and and things can change. I mean, there was a series I worked on, I think it was last, not not last year, the year before where, um, you know, suddenly I couldn't clear a track. And um, I, I found that out this particular day. And we were, you know, we were dubbing in, two days and I literally had to find and clear and something else in 48 hours and you know it's a bit more like the ad world I suppose with that Mm -hmm. kind of thing yeah so things move fast and you also you know you may have quite a lot of people that you're running ideas past whereas in film often it's just the the director that's reviewing the music whereas in tv I might have five people reviewing my ideas wow you know so a lot of a lot of cooks in the mix that's just the nature of it Okay, so how often does it happen for you to put together a list of songs and for those five people to say, you know, we don't like any of these or 
we want you to take five and replace them for some other five songs. So it's rare that I'll, I'm, you know, I spend a lot of time working up pitches. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm not getting goosebumps with the idea of the track to picture, then no one else is going to like it. Yeah. You know? um, uh, so yeah, I, I, it's rare for me to get. Oh, we don't like any of them. Um, but if there are a lot of people in the mix, then it is a bit frustrating. You might get three of them go, we really like this track. And the other two go, no, we're not so sure. So then you have to do several rounds of tracks. Yeah. So you find, and sometimes you get to a situation where all of them bar one like this track. And in the end they go, okay, all right. <laughs> so it's just really hard because it's just such a personal thing. What, yeah. what works to picture um, I think we can all generally agree something really doesn't work to picture, but it, it's a you know it's the same as score. Um, you know, if, if, does it speak to you? Do you get an emotional response? And and also, people may have a slightly different approach to a scene to each other. You know, so that makes my life quite difficult. And and also, I hate it when I found a track that I really love and I think this really works, and then they don't go for it, and they go for it. another idea I had that. I also really like, but not as much as the other one. So you have to pitch things without getting emotionally attached to them. Yeah. Because, you know, what your vision for it. And composers must feel the same way when they, they score a cue and they think it's working perfectly and the director comes back with, you know, 20 changes and, you know, you, you just can't get attached to it. At the end of the day, it's a product you're delivering on. Everyone has to sign off on it. Yeah. You know, the creative team and the financiers. And, you know, and that's going to appeal to the widest audience or whatever your audience is. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So how, how often does it happen to you when, you know, the production team tells you, we would like a song that's like this. And then you bring them the song and say, no, actually, we would like a song that's different. You know, like we, we've changed our vision for this. How often does that happen to you? Um. Yes, sometimes. Sometimes we'll we'll go down one route and then everyone go, actually, we're not sure this is working. I mean, the toughest thing is is when they've had a track in a in a temp and uh, everyone's got very attached to it, but for whatever reason we can't can't clear it. I.e., it's too expensive, or it's it will we get the request denied. Mm. When that has when that happens, um, that's quite hard for me because you know they're attached to this particular piece of music and sometimes what I do what I found more effective is actually to go for something completely different go a completely different creative route not try and find something that sounds like that yeah because they, generally I find if I do that they're just not open to it and they prefer they still just want the other track so if you go for something totally different they go oh actually oh oh yeah okay um, but yeah, no, I mean, that kind of thing does happen um, because, I don't know, things evolve, don't they? And it also, yeah. might, also may depend on what's sitting in front of the track. It might, or what, what, the, or what the composer's written may affect what track is played at this particular point. There's so many things, or maybe what the sound design team are doing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it is an evolving process. And you never know what's going to happen. And things can change at the last minute in the mix. So, you know, but that's part of the fun of it. Never a dull moment. So, <laughs> that's why so, I like it. so Claire, what's been the most satisfying job that you, you've done? Um, most satisfying? Oh, that's a good question. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel that yeah. there was a lot of the, you know, 
it's it's difficult when when we've got you know all these many people making decisions um it also sounds like at the end of the day you know your what you see from reading the script and what he, more than see what you hear when you you read the script might be completely different from the idea that you know the production team has so i think that would be really interesting actually to to go on the other side of the spectrum so instead of you know you've got these limitations but when when you know what's the yeah most satisfying job um i'm just just thinking about it i mean um you know the the biggest film i've worked on is the theory of everything and that was Mm. definitely a really interesting um involving job and you know um i i worked with another music supervisor sarah bridge on that and we were we were on board right from the early stages so we were very involved in all of the music choices and putting together the whole soundtrack um you know we we sourced um uh, a jazz band and all of the original tracks we we sourced um a choir that spans three decades um and you know that there was a lot of elements for that, and it was very satisfying. But I'm just thinking of other projects more recently. Um, I really enjoyed working on City of Tiny Lights um, because I had a chance to sync some really underground tracks from the '90s, um, and um, I also had had um, an unusual experience in that I was watching the film, and this love scene came up. And um, I think they had a Moby track synced in as temp. And just recently, I've been listening to um, Ghost Perk's album Shedding Skin. And you know, the title track from the album popped into my head. And I thought, that would go so well with this scene. And I couldn't forget about it. And um, later down the line, I pitched it. And it ended up in the film. And it just worked so well. Um, and then I got a nomination for it for the Music and Sound Award. Well which was, and it's still to, to this day is my favourite sync that I've done because it, you know, I just thought of it very early on in the process and I thought it would work really well. And it was just really satisfying to see it end up in the film. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, and another one I really enjoyed. It didn't have a massive budget, but um, um, it was good fun working on. And that was The Pale Horse for Mammoth Screen. And uh, yeah, I just had I just had a real laugh with the music for that. Um, it was set I think it was set in 1959, and I I found some really cool tracks for it. Um, uh, and you know there was this mad there was this mad party scene um, where I synced a track called Lord Rockingham meets the monsters. I don't know if you ever listened <laughs> to it, but it's crazy because in the 50s there was this whole kind of monster madness track. You know, like. Yeah. Was, uh, you know the monster mash and all of that and when I watched that scene I thought there's probably going to be a whole load of tracks with, about monsters and, and <laughs> the walking dead and all of that and there, and yeah I mean if you've not watched the power horse check out that check out that scene it's just this drunken party in the last episode um so yeah that one was that one was really good fun mm. no that sounds really really cool um so hey I, you know I hear you mentioning tracks from the 90s and, you know, going back and back. Um, do you think, from your perspective, you know, legacy tracks and, you know, songs that are a bit older um, have a bigger chance of, of getting these placements or at least fitting better uh, within certain projects? Or do you think there's a bit more for variety? It depends, again, it depends also on the project. I'd, I'd be honest that the, the majority of projects I work on, um, we are syncing um, archive catalogue. Yeah, yeah. Old, older tracks. But, but maybe that's because they're set in a particular decade. 
Um, so if they aren't, if they're contemporary, then you've got a chance to sing some contemporary tracks. But um, it seems that the majority of stuff that I'm asked to do, you know, is it is sinking legacy material. But I'm, I mean, I really, I really enjoy that because I, I love sinking tracks from the nineties, eighties, seventies. These, all of that and I to be honest also really love the really early stuff like the 30s 40s um it you know I do I have just um agreed to do a series that is contemporary that's coming up later this year uh set in set in the UK and America and so that's exciting I'll get a chance finally for the first time in a while to think some more contemporary material because I, I also just don't get a chance to listen to enough of it mm-hmm. because I'm normally so busy I'm generally, if I'm reviewing any music, it's for that particular project, and it's often older, older yeah. material. Um, this is really interesting, actually. Um, so, you know, you mentioned that um, you worked on these projects that, you know, maybe that were set in, you know, the 30s, the 40s, and hence the reason why putting songs that are within that uh, that time. Now, uh, very recently, I started watching again Peaky Blinders. And do you know about Peaky Blinders? Yes, I've seen. I watched the first series. Um, so, I mean, I actually really like it. I think that's really good. Uh, probably the opening song. It's not my favorite, but um, the whole point here is, you know, that series is from the early 1900s, and they've got Arctic Monkey songs. So, do you think that that clash? works well or it's a different approach it is a different approach um you know you can one i mean yeah a take is to sync contemporary tracks over it or another take is to do covers of contemporary tracks in the style of the era uh it's like it is completely what your creative approach is i mean and maybe the the style of the style of the program Mm-hmm. I, I haven't worked on anything that I've that there's been a call for that because normally, you know, we're trying to set the era so there's something playing on the radio and we want something yeah. from the time. But yeah, that is another approach, absolutely, and it can work really well. Mm-hmm. And so, from your perspective, what's your what's your criteria when you're searching for for songs? What is important? You know, is there is there particular tick boxes that the songs need to? be able to meet uh in order to you know fit in your your playlist so i mean syncable songs that i was thinking about this earlier one of the biggest pitfalls are the lyrics so you know a song may just be amazing in all elements other than it will have just some odd lyric that keeps popping up um you know things that are too explicit or a bit odd, although obviously the more explicit tracks, the artist will often release a clean version yeah. of it that's sync-friendly. Um, but it's odd lyrics. Um, things like love songs, if someone's talking about a specific person, that makes it not syncable because yeah. it, you, you need it to be generic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there are certain tracks that I'm going to be syncing more than others, things like, you know, music, Music playing in a restaurant or a bar, you know, that's the most common one. Yeah. Um, you know, a featured placement, it's got to be something that's strong melodically that's going to carry the sequence. It really just depends on it. I mean, if I'm looking for a certain mood, then a track that continues the mood all the way through, that's great. Um, I, I, I suppose because I've been doing it for a while, I, I've 
I've probably got an ear for something that I immediately think, yeah, that's likely to be sinkable. Um, so it, it is not subject specific if it's, you know, going on about, but it really depends on the project um, as to what's going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the lyrics side of things. So do you think that then there's the possibility of just using the instrumental on that sense, or do you not go for that? What would you recommend on that, um, that side? Yeah, I mean, occasionally it might be you can you can get around it by doing an edit, yeah. and I, I do do that. So, um, you know, if, if there's this one line that's not working, there may be a way of editing the song with the instrumental in order to create a version that we can use. I mean, you know, it's it's common to edit tracks for picture anyway because it might we might need a crescendo at a particular point, and so we need to take out a verse in order to hit that point, etc. So that's quite common. Um, so yeah, there are ways around it. But if you know, if an artist thinking, or I'm you know, I don't know. I'd like to think that artists don't record tracks thinking I'm recording this so it's syncable. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a you know, that would not be a good yeah. way to go about it. it you know, just spoil all that in you know creativity mm-hmm. uh, okay um cool so let me ask you now more a uh, personal question from your point of view um or for yourself how do you measure success as a supervisor oh well i think for me it's just you know lots of work lots of work coming in i mean this is this is my third year being freelance and uh, so far so good i mean i'm you know i'm I'm really excited about the projects that have come in my way. I mean, last year was a bit quieter for a few yeah. months, but generally, yeah, it's going really well. And also, and also, projects that come in that give me a chance, as I said, to you know get creatively involved and and pitch ideas for the show. Um, so yeah, and you know, I can I can handle quite a lot at once as long as all the schedules aren't delivering at the same time. And then it, yeah, then it's a bit of a nightmare. I mean, it can be stressful when you're trying to clear a lot of tracks to deadline, but I've been doing this so long now that I'm, I'm normally, I prep way ahead. So I, I, it's rare for me to get to a point where I haven't sort of things ahead of, mm-hmm. ahead of delivery. And if anything, I'm ahead of it, um, you know, because I, I like to know exactly where I am. I like it all organized, lots of color-coded spreadsheets <laughs> sort of things. <laughs> People always think it's really glamorous, but it isn't really. It's it's mostly just sitting at a computer. Yeah. So, what would you say that you you prefer the most? Then is it more the the fact that you know you get you get to do multiple projects, or is it more the creative side of it? So it's more, you know, what's your strength? Is it more on the admin side of uh, being able to you know read your scripts and then uh, just put together lists quite quickly, or is it more the you know the the possibilities of, of having that flexibility for you to be creative. I think I think it's both. I think I'm you know I'm I'm lucky because uh, you know my my background um, was originally I wanted to be a film composer. Mm. Um, so I've got a really good understanding of, of the music side of it, and I always listened to a lot of music um, and was obsessed with film. So you know on the on the creative side of it, it's something that I generally don't have to work too hard at it just comes to me you know I, I get ideas I see the scene I think yeah that might work um if I the only thing that can limit that is the budget so if I've only got a very small budget then um you know then I might I'd be briefing out saying look this is all we've got what you know to the rights holders what might you have at this at this budget and then it might be harder to come up 
with ideas because I've got such a small amount of money to work with. But, um, yeah, I mean, on the admin side, I don't know. I guess I've just sort of learnt that as the years have gone past. I mean, I, I had I did a couple of years working in music management, so mm-hmm. I kind of got the hang of the contract side and the legal side then, and running budgets. And you know, because I was organising um, shows and promo for artists worldwide, and it was yeah, it was very demanding on the admin side. So then, when I started working in music supervision, I already had some, you know, vague idea. Yeah. Yeah, because, oh, you know, I'm not going to name the film, but I had one, this was very early on, I think it was only the second film, and I had um, an Excel sheet um, corrupt on me. And, you know, that taught me a valuable lesson is that you have to double-check, double-check your figures, because once once you've dubbed a picture, that's it, you're committed, and you don't want to find out that actually your Excel sheet was out by 20 grand, you know. Wow, yeah. (laughs) Because then you've still got to find it. So you know, I've got I've got quite pedantic about checking budgets over yeah. and over and over, um, and I also I also really enjoy the negotiation side. You know, trying to get the best deal on a track. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's that's uh, yeah, ne- negotiating that's a big part of it. Um, and yeah, I mean that certainly isn't a glamorous bit, but it's yeah. you know. You know, if, if I've got a, if I've got a budget to work with, then it's it's generally the labels and publishers are very supportive um, of uh, you know low budget projects, mm-hmm. and you know you know they're very helpful in trying to you know help me get tracks cleared or find me replacements if we can't clear the wish list. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's I always feel it's a team effort. You know, it's 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 me doing the music supervision, but. There's, you know, you're working with the whole team and the project and with the rights holders. So yeah. everybody together, really, because at the end, you know, we all want the the, um, the same end result, something that works really well and everyone's going to like it. Let's do the tips. You know, I would really like to know what your tip is. And you mentioned that you wanted for film productions. Um, yes, I think um, I think it would be to get the, to get a music supervisor on at a really early stage. Even if just for you know, if if you're in development, just just to get a bit of advice, yeah. Because then you know they can flag up anything that is in copyright that you think isn't. Um, they can flag up tracks that are too expensive for the budget that are in the script. Mm-hmm. All of these sort of things. They can just help you prep ahead so that you avoid those pitfalls. And it's also really helpful. If I do get a chance to read the scripts earlier on, I can then put together a draft budget and then they can make sure that they've got that money put aside for yeah. reprints it because so often they just the, the music licensing budget is underfunded. It's mm-hmm. a common thing, not so much in television. Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, you know, sync, sync, syncing music is big business now and the fees have gone up, you know, because they, people can see the value of it. The yeah. music brings so much to the production. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it has really changed over the years. Hmm. Cool. So, yeah, that would be my tip really, you know, just get someone on board early. early on. Yeah. <laughs> no, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Claire. And, uh, thank you everyone for joining. This is Small Talk No More and we'll see you again next week. Thank you.